It's uh, a blessing to be with you. Um, as I mentioned when we were over in Modern Day Hall, um, I'm uh, happy to be here for the retreat, um, certainly to be able to have the opportunity to uh, collaborate with the sisters, but also because of the theme of the retreat. As you heard, um, the theme is uh, for greater things you were born. And as you uh, may know, it comes from the remarks of Archbishop Gomez um, that he made at his mass of welcome back, I guess, in May when he first came to the archdiocese here. Um, that on that uh, sheet of meditations that I prepared for you, that's the first one. Um, where he speaks about how a good friend of his told him, as he says, about one of the local unknown saints here, Maria Luisa de la Pena, Mother Luisita, a refugee from Mexico who founded the Carmelite Sisters of the Most Sacred Heart of Los Angeles. Venerable Mother Luisita would tell everyone, for greater things you were born. Um, I'm excited uh, because uh, not only of working with the sisters, but also because of the theme. Um, it resonates very much with the spirituality of my own community. That In um, our brotherhood, we often encourage one another by saying we will expect great things from God and we will tempt great things for him. So this theme of greatness uh, that we have is, is very much uh, evident in Mother Lucita's words that uh, Archbishop Gomez seized upon, as well as my community. So uh, by way of introduction, our theme is about greatness. And, you know, when I hear the word great, I think what often comes to mind is something that's out of the ordinary. Um, so a great oak tree is one that's unusually large. Um, when we apply it to people, we generally mean someone who's achieved distinction or honor in some field. So um, Albert Einstein was a great scientist because he was remarkable, out of the ordinary. And we have these people in all different fields. There's great actors, there's great athletes, there's great singers, um, government leaders, and the church has them also. And what do we call them? Saints, right. Um, men and women who stand out in their love for God and others, they are great in holiness. Um, I believe that we ought not just to ad admire the saints or honor them with statues and stained glass windows, which is all good, but we ought to be inspired by them and we ought to follow them. Why? Because we are all called to that type of greatness, even if most of us are never canonized. I imagine that if we think about what's the key to the secret of the greatness of the saints, we might come up with a whole variety of answers. Um, some of us might say if it's the gifts that God gave them, 
Other people might say, you know, their intelligence. And certainly we have many saints who were um, greatly, um, had great intellects. Think of St. Augustine or St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, or other people might say it was the effort that they put into pursuing holiness. And all of those things are true, um, and they're all important. But they aren't really, sisters, the heart of greatness. The secret of the saints lies somewhere else. And to point it out, I'd like to uh, share with you a brief uh, quote from one saint, John Chrysostom, about another, one of the greatest. Just happens to be my patron, St. Paul. John Chrysostom said this, Paul, more than anyone else, has shown us what man really is and in what our nobility consists and of what virtue this creature is capable. The most important thing of all to him was that he knew himself to be loved by Christ. Isn't that striking? I mean, of all the things he could have said about what was most important to Paul, boldness, preaching, an evangelist, he says the most important thing of all to him was that he knew himself to be loved by Christ. The secret of St. Paul's greatness, and indeed of, of all the saints, was that they knew the love of Christ for them. They knew profoundly that God loved them. Sister, my, my hope for this retreat is that we don't just learn about the greatness of the call of Christians. I hope we do that. But I hope the retreat is much more than that. My hope is that we more deeply experience the love of Christ for ourselves. Perhaps you know the um, famous 19th century Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky. He once said, only the heart knows how to find what is precious. And in that spirit, I'm not intending that um, the conferences during this retreat are primarily an intellectual exercise, but rather an experiential reality. So that through the retreat, we come to know in a heartfelt way how much the Lord loves us and how precious we are to him. One of the, um, I, I think there is a challenge with us experience the love of God for us. Um, and I think one of the most significant of the challenges is that we've probably heard that God loves us so often that it can kind of seem like old hat. And therefore, it can lack the impact that it really should have. Um, perhaps I'm dating myself by asking you this, but do you remember the movies Star Wars? Excellent, good. Um, I don't know if you recall, but in them, there was something that was called deflector shields. And the deflector shields were translucent energy fields and their purpose was to block 
or deflect lasers from getting through to the person or object that these fields were protecting. Okay. I think that in life we have something like deflector shields. Um, we adopt them to help us cope with all the input that comes to us throughout the course of a day or a week or a month or whatever. All the barrage of information and input that comes to us. Um, um, attitudes like, uh, been there, heard this before, I don't need to know this, it sounds nice but it doesn't apply to my life. Those kind of internal deflector shields or um, it's they, they kick in when the television show we realize we don't want to watch this so we click to another one or they, they click in when we're reading a magazine and realize, yeah, I don't need this, put it aside. All those kind of things. Um, they're types of defenses that we put up and you know, I'm not saying they're bad. I mean, we have so much input. We have to kind of sift through to decide what we really should spend our time in. So I'm not saying they're bad, but my, I think the challenge is we can consciously or unconsciously carry them over into the spiritual life. And they can be a hindrance to us allowing the Lord to do what he wants to do in our life. And applying it to this retreat, they can blunt the experience that the Lord wants us to have about his love. So, what I'd like to do to try to counteract that is two things. First, on my part, I'm going to do my best to try to present different angles and perspectives into our theme of greatness um, to try to give the Holy Spirit room to open our hearts to new possibilities. So I'm not going to stand up here and just kind of read the catechism to you, as good as that book is. I'm going to try to, as I say, present new angles and perspectives to try to pierce through whatever unconscious deflector shields we have. The second thing is I'm going to ask you to pray so that we can hear the Lord in a new way this weekend. Because, you know, no matter how much we may have heard the things that will be said this weekend, the Lord wants us to experience them anew. He, he wouldn't have brought us here if he didn't want to do that. Um, just to be clear, I'm not asking you merely to say prayers. I'm asking you to pray. Um, maybe I can elaborate a little bit on, on what I'm getting at. I know that I'm referred to as the retreat master, but in my view, the real master of this retreat is the Holy Spirit. Um, I see my role like that of an usher at a concert or a theatrical performance. People come to the theater to see the star. Um, the usher, his role is to assist somebody to get to their seat. So I see my role is to help you get to the best place possible so that you can be touched by the star this weekend. And the star is the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason why I say that is because he's the one who speaks or acts in a way that moves us and that touches our hearts. I mean, the Holy Spirit is the one who knows each of us intimately. 
He's the one who knows what God wants to do in our relationship with him. And so it's the Holy Spirit who knows best how to reveal to each one in our different and unique circumstances what God wants to say and do to us this weekend. And that's why I say that prayer is so important. That's why I'm encouraging you not just to say prayers, but to pray. Because your prayer time are key moments, key opportunities, when the Holy Spirit wants to meet you personally. And um, I'm not saying that simply because, well, you know, you're the retreat director, or it's retreat, you're going to pray, so you've got to encourage people to pray. I mean, it's a good thing. But I'm not just saying it because I'm supposed to say it. I mean, I really mean it. And it's actually what, um, in a real way, lies behind this sheet of uh, meditations that I put together. Um, as you can see, it's got um, 12 different meditation passages. I thought, uh, in a certain way, it would be helpful because it makes it convenient. Um, if I'm referring to uh, something in the talk, you have it all on one sheet. Um, if I'm referring to a Bible passage, you don't actually have to have the Bible with you. It's all, it's all right there. Um, I also hope that you would make use of it during your prayer time. Oh, you know, that passage really struck me. Great. Take it with you. Um, as you can see, I've highlighted certain parts of different passages because those are the ones that I intend to focus on. Um, but you'll notice I've given you passages that are much generally more extensive than the highlighted parts. And that's because of a fruit of my own experience being on retreats, not being up here, but being where you are. And by that I mean, um, when I go on a retreat, I have a, a spiritual director who I'll meet with once a day, and he'll give me passages to pray about. And over the course of many years of experience in praying this, I've come to realize oftentimes I'll take that passage and I'll go to prayer and 25, 30, 40 minutes pondering over this passage and nothing, nada, sawdust, it's dry. Not always, but most of the time. And then I will happen to look at the passage like immediately above it or below it and bingo. The Holy Spirit would be like, yeah, that touches my heart. That's what God's saying to me. So um, that's why I'm saying I'm giving you this sheet, and I'm highlighting the passages or the parts of the passage that I think are important, but the Holy Spirit's the star. He knows what's going to move and touch you the most. So that's why I've kind of expanded it further. Um, I, I don't know. Do you remember... Uh, this, I know I'm definitely dating myself on this one. But do you know that the television series from the 1950s, Father Knows Best? Okay, great. Wow, this is a great group. They know all my references. Well, you know, great title, but it doesn't apply this weekend. This father may not know best. The Holy Spirit knows best where you're at and what will touch you. Um, so, if the highlighted passages works for you, Great, go with it. If it's some other part, perfect. If it's something that's not even on the sheet, go with it. The Holy Spirit really does know best. And so I encourage you, take time this weekend. Take advantage of the time, the space, 
the environment of the retreat center to pray so that the Holy Spirit can encounter you where you are and where you most need to be touched. Um, you know, I thought about, in terms of this first conference, like kind of covering introductory types of things. Um, but if you're game, what I'd really like to do now, rather than doing more of that, which I might intersperse throughout the retreat, is to kind of move into the theme of the retreat itself. Um, so I'd like to, at least tonight in the time we have left for this conference, is to begin to plunge a bit into our theme of greatness. Um, the third passage on your meditation sheet is from Matthew 18. Um, and the passage gives us an idea about how Jesus views greatness. So it seemed like a good place to start. Um, as you can see from the passage, when the disciples want to know who's greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus responds by setting a child before them as a way of teaching them about God's view on greatness. Um, and, you know, when, when Jesus speaks of becoming like children, I don't believe he's telling his disciples to be childish or immature or naive, sheltered from the realities of life. No, Jesus wants us to live in the real world, and he wants us to be mature men and women. But I do think he is summoning his disciples then and now to be childlike, childlike, not childish, childlike, in a few ways. And, and I'd like to speak um, briefly about just two of them tonight. One, being childlike from God's perspective, and the other is being childlike from our perspective. Um, first, from God's perspective. Um, once there was a single mother who had a six or seven year old daughter, and they lived in Trinidad, and they were quite poor. The daughter had one dress, and she would wear it to school each day. Each evening after she went to bed, the mother would take the dress and take care to clean and iron it so it would be ready for the next day. Each morning, after the little girl got dressed and was preparing to leave for school, her mother would ask her to stop, and she'd say to her daughter, just stand there. I love to look at you. St. Ignatius of Loyola, one of the great uh, teachers of prayer in the Catholic Church, encourages us when we go to pray, when we go to our place where we're going to pray, to stop before we get started and pause, as he says, for the length of an Our Father. 15, 30, 45 seconds, a minute, whatever, to pause and to consider how God beholds us. Before we say anything, take that time and stop and consider how God beholds us. I would encourage you, when you go to pray different times during this weekend, to do that and to think about God beholding you like this mother looking at her daughter. Whatever else 
needs to happen in your prayer with God. Challenging, comforting, correcting, forgiving, whatever it is, I think this is the starting place that God loves the fact that we have taken time to come into his presence, that his opening disposition towards us is, I love that you are here. I love that you are taking time to be with me. Okay, one aspect of being childlike from God's perspective. Now, how about from ours? Um, to state the obvious, I have no children. But I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and I know a lot of kids. And one of the things I've seen is that in children, they have a certain freedom in life. Meaning, um, maybe make it clear, in, in contrast to adults who are often constrained by social rules and restrictions. And I'm not saying that these social customs are bad that we have as adults. Many of them are, are necessary and important and helpful. All I'm saying is that it seems to me children have a certain freedom which allows them to say and think or say what they think and feel. Um, sometimes that can be to the embarrassment of adults, but they just say what they think and feel. Um, I have a nephew named John Paul, um, and at the time this story took place, he was um, four or five, and he was quite precocious as a child. Well, one day my sister took, say, five-year-old John Paul with her shopping, and she was in a department store, and she was looking at some clothes, and she got momentarily distracted, and John Paul wandered off. Um, she realized when he was gone, when she heard his voice coming from the service counter over there. Um, so she began to make her way over to him. But she didn't get there fast enough. Um, he was speaking with the salesperson behind the service counter, and as my sister got closer, she heard John Paul say to the woman, um, Lady, do you have any candy? Uh, the woman said she was sorry, but uh, no, I don't have any candy. Uh, as soon as John Paul heard there was no candy, he replied, well, okay, can I have some money instead? <laughs> so, I mean, children just have this certain kind of freedom uh, with life. They say and think what they say, what they think and feel. Again, whatever is true and necessary about good manners and even teaching children good manners, I do think that God finds refreshing um, a childlike openness and honesty in relating with him. Um, he really does desire that we say to him what we need or want, uh, great or small, and that we pray to him as things are. Um, I think it's better to say, Lord, I know I should love you above all things. But truth be told, there are times and situations, maybe even a lot of them, when I don't. Please help me. I think better that than, you know, a, a pious kind of, Lord, you know, you are above all things and 
I, I love you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength all the time. I mean, that's a good thing to aspire to. But I do think being open and honest with him is something that he really does want. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, a paradox. In an unusual kind of way, it's a sign of Christian maturity if we're free, like children, to say what's really going on when we speak to God. Yeah, it's kind of a paradox. The more we become like children in that sense in relating with God, the more we're actually growing in Christian maturity. Um, I share with you this not only to begin you know, our exploring of what uh, Jesus' view is of greatness, but also to encourage you uh, in your time of prayer during the weekend. You have time to spend with the Lord during this retreat. Um, I encourage you, make use of it to pray honestly and openly with him. I, I don't know that I can articulate better and say, but there's somehow, when we're honest and open with the Lord, it unlocks the door for him to touch us and to um, go deeply into our relationship with him. I imagine, uh, I know I was talking to uh, uh, a number of you, and some of you have been here, you know, over 10, 20, 30, 50 years coming here for retreats. Um, other, uh, other of you are here for the first time. Um, perhaps you all know that this retreat center is uh, named after the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And if you just have a chance to walk around, maybe you already did, or uh, tomorrow when it's light, um, stroll around the property, you see many representations of the Sacred Heart. There's the huge statue out here on the lawn. Uh, there's another statue over here in the Sacred Heart Garden. Actually, there's one right in the vestibule of the chapel. If you come in now to my left, you go through those doors to the left, there's another one there. And, and there's others around. Um, and you'll notice they're, they're all different um, sizes and different representations of the Lord, different postures. I think the one out here, he's got his arms open. Uh, one over here, he's kind of pointing to his heart. The one out here in the, in the, in the vestibule, he's actually talking to, uh, touching his heart. Um, you know, his, his facial expressions, how, how he's looking are all different. But they all have one thing in common. His heart is exposed. You can see it. And that says two things to me. The first thing it says is, his heart is open to me. That the Lord is giving me access to himself. He's revealing himself. He's making himself known. He's, he's making his life, as it were, vulnerable, accessible to me, to anybody who wants to be in a relationship with him. But, uh, but as I'm sure you know, um, any relationship worth its salt is a two-way street. Um, as much as one person might want to be in a deep relationship with somebody else, if it's not reciprocated, it's not going to happen. The second thing that the Sacred Heart, as it's depicted, says to me is that the Lord is asking me to likewise be open and vulnerable to him the way he is with me.
Um, you know, uh, there's a way in which we can pray which is proper, but which doesn't really open up our heart. And, and by that, I mean, um, it's when there's something going on in our life that we really should be talking to the Lord about, but we settle for simply doing our prayers, saying our prayers. I don't know all the reasons for it. I guess maybe sometimes it can be fear of what the Lord might say or reveal to us if we open up our hearts to him, or sometimes, I don't know, maybe it can be laziness. I don't know all the reasons for it, but I do know the reality that in a certain way, my prayers can kind of keep God at a distance rather than really talking about what's going on in my heart. Um, I, like, I like to share with you a story. Um, it's an experience of one of the brothers in my community. I asked him if I could uh, share it with you, and, and he was fine with that. Um, just a little background. Um, he's not the soundest sleeper. Uh, he's kind of a light sleeper, and he often goes to bed bringing with him concerns, responsibilities, burdens. Um, I don't know, maybe that's part of the reason he's not the greatest sleeper. Um, but anyway, he's kind of on the lighter end. In any event, on this particular night, he woke up at 2.30 in the morning. Now, that's not that unusual. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it occurs somewhat frequently that he'll wake up in the middle of the night. Um, usually it can just roll over, go back to sleep. Sometimes it can take a little while, even up to 45 minutes, but, but generally he makes it back to sleep. Um, this night he couldn't. And as much as he tried, he couldn't fall back to sleep. Finally, after three hours, he gave up and got up. Irritated. He had a lot to do that day, and now on top of it, it's compounded by the fact that he's dead tired. So he decided to go to the chapel and pray, or as he put it, to get in his prayer time. Figured, all right, I'm up, I'll get in my prayer time now, have it over with, and, you know, my day, yeah, get out of the way, and then, you know, I got another period of time, extend the day a little bit. Okay, so he goes there, um, and he said at one point during the time of prayer, he felt the Lord invite him to unload his burdens on the Lord. So he took the Lord up on it, and he shared the first one, which was, I got practically no sleep last night. That's my first burden. But gradually he began to share uh, his concerns and responsibilities and the issues that he faced. And he said, he said, you know, I had done it before, but this time it was different. He experienced the Lord take each one of those burdens and concerns into his own sacred heart. And as he did so, the brother said, you know, I began to experience relief. He said, I experienced, after the Lord took it into his heart, he gave it back to me, but he said, when I got it back, he said, I realized it seemed lighter. They didn't have the same kind of weight as before. He said, sure, you know, I still had to carry them. They were still there. But he said they didn't have what he called the sting to them. And by the sting, 
He meant that aspect of them that made them especially onerous or made them really burdensome, that really weighed them down. He said, going to prayer that morning, I did not expect anything more than to get in my prayer time. But he said, by the time I finished, I had a whole new attitude. He said, you know, by the time that prayer was over, he said, I felt refreshed. Which he said was very surprising to me because I'd only gotten three hours of sleep. And then he ended with this. He said, the Lord was so gentle with me. With that meditation sheet, um, I, I uh, put a, a, a prayer card. It's a reproduction of the Sacred Heart image, which was the one before this brother prayed. I thought that, um, again, it might be an aid to you in prayer. Um, if it touches you and maybe you're not near a statue or an image of the Sacred Heart here, you can supportable one. Take it with you. Um, all of this, sisters, is um, an encouragement to us to take advantage of the time that this retreat gives us. The places, uh, the atmosphere of silence, um, to pray. And to be like a child in your prayer with the Lord by us opening our hearts freely and honestly with him, speaking to him about what's really going on, and in the silence allowing him to speak back to us about what he thinks about us and what we bring to him, and see if we don't experience him as being gentle with us like he was with that brother. Amen.